Did you hear the one about the wall? It's hilarious. I'm still trying to get over it. <laughs> okay. Uh, funnier the second time, huh? Okay. So we're talking about... I'm going to tell you one about the wall. This is not a joke, though. Actually, it's the opposite of a joke. It's very, very sad. Very sad thing connected to a wall. The 17th of Tammuz is one of the public fast days that were established by our sages in order to commemorate and to mourn for the incidents connected to the destruction of the Besamikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Specifically, what is the event connected to the 17th of Tammuz? Is that is the day of the splitting of the wall. There was a city wall, a wall, a protective wall around Yudashalayim, around the holy city of Jerusalem. And on the 17th of Tammuz, the, the, the wall was split. We know what happened three weeks later on Tisha B'Av, on the 9th of Av, that's when the temple itself was destroyed. But three weeks prior to that, on the 17th of Tammuz, that is when the city walls were split. And uh, therefore we fast on that day as well. Now, I'm sure you are acquainted with the idea that everything in Judaism is subject to discussion and debate and divergent opinions. There was once a receptionist at a synagogue answers the phone says, hello. The guy on the other end says, I'm looking for a one-armed rabbi. The receptionist says, you're looking for what? The guy says, I'm looking for a one-armed rabbi. She says, why are you looking for a one-armed rabbi? He says, because the one that I have right now, every time I ask him a question, he answers. But then a second later, he says, but on the other hand. <laughs> so I want a one-armed rabbi. He doesn't always, out, but on the other hand. Okay, so here's what I'm going to tell you. Like everything in Judaism, surprise, surprise, there's a little bit of a machlaikis here, a little bit of a debate. Bavli and Yerushalmi, the Babylonian Talmud and Jerusalem Talmud. In the Bavli, Gemara, Tainus, Chof Beis, 28b, it tells us, Huvko Ho'ir Bayud Zayin, that the city, meaning the city wall, was breached or broken on the 17th. And then it asks, hold on a second. <coughs> but it says, a pasuk in Yirmiyahu, it says over there, in the fourth month, which is what? Nisan, Ir, Sivan, Tammuz, fourth month, Tammuz. Bitisha Lachodesh. On the ninth day of the month, the famine became, the starvation became greater. Ba'ir in the city. Uksiv Basra, and it says right after that in the very next Pasuk, Vatiboka Ha'ir, and the city, meaning the city walls, were split. Meaning on what day? On the ninth day of Tammuz. And this is a pasuk, this is a, an explicit verse in Yermio, the prophecy of Jeremiah. So, this, and, and this is the discussion in the Talmud Bavli. So how does the Bavli answer? It says, Amarava, said the sage Rava, Kasha. It's not a kasha, it's not a difficulty. Kan b'rishayna, kan b'shniya. There were two temples, two destructions. So, Tishabav, the destruction of the temple on the ninth day of Av, that was the same date in both destructions. So you're talking about 
423 BCE, before the Common Era, when the Babylonians destroyed the first base of Mikdosh, and 69 CE, 69 of the Common Era, when the Romans destroyed the second base of Mikdosh. But everyone agrees that the destruction of the Temple itself was on the ninth day of Av. However, in both times, both destructions. However, the Babylonian Talmud is saying, when it comes to the splitting of the walls, which happened before the actual destruction of the temple, the city walls, that is different. That in the first destruction, the Babylonians, it actually happened on the ninth day of the month, as Yirmiyot the prophet clearly says. And in the second destruction, one, the one that was from the Romans, it happened on the 17th of Tammuz. And, uh, yeah, so he says, Detanya b'resheinu hufko ha'ir b'tisha b'tammuz b'shniya b'shiva asabai. That there's a b'raisa that says, in the first base of Migdosh, the city walls were, were, were broken on the 9th of the month, and in the second destruction, it happened on the 17th of the month. And as far as the actual halacha. So in Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, the laws of these fasts, it tells us, even though we're told that in the first Beis HaMikdash, the destruction that was beset by the Babylonians, the city walls were broken on the 9th of Av, we don't fast on that day. We don't fast on the ninth. Only on the 17th. Why? And the Shulchan Aruch says, the Mechaber, the Yosef Karo says, even though we go according to the Babylonian Talmud, which says that the city walls were breached on the, on the ninth day of the month, we don't fast on that day. Why not? Since in the second destruction, the walls were broken on the 17th, the fast was set up for only that date. Why? Because the destruction of the second base of Migdash is more severe for us. More severe for us, meaning to say that's the one that, that's the one that we're living with. That's the the one that put us in the gullus that we're in. So therefore, the Shulchan Aruch says, oh, and by the way, that's what the Mechaber says, the Mogin Avrom mentions, if you want to be a Baal Nefesh, if you want to be extra Frum, you can fast both days. It's not halakhically required whatsoever, but if you want to be extra careful and scrupulous, you could fast both on the 9th and the 17th of Thomas. Too late this year, you missed it. But at any... Shucks, you missed it. Okay, but... Um, that's what the Shulchan Aruch says. Now, like I told you, this is subject to a dispute. It's not so uh, accepted from all perspectives. In the Rishalmi, also in Tainus, it says, it brings this same verse, that the breaking of the wall was on the ninth of the month. And you know what it says? It says, actually, the breaking of the wall was on the 17th of Tammuz, both times. Both the first destruction, 
launched by the Babylonians and the second destruction launched by the Romans, both times. And what do you do? So then the Yerushalmi says, well, what do you do with the Pasuk? We have a verse. We have a verse in, in, in Jeremiah that says that the, the, the wall was split by the Babylonians in the first destruction on the ninth day of the month. Everyone following all the, the dates here, right? So the Yerushalmi says, Kil kul khan. Literally, you know what that means? Kil kul cheshbeines. Well, it means kil kul means destruction. So it means a faulty calculation. Kilkul cheshbeines yeshkan. There's a faulty calculation at play. It's not the ninth of the month. It's the seventeenth of the month. Both times. Both destructions. Okay. Fine. No problem. Look, it's not the first Machlekes Bavli and Yashalmi. We, we can handle that, that sometimes Bavli and Yashalmi have different perspectives. And also, it's not a shock to us that the Shulchan Aruch, that the Halacha paskins and rules according to... Which one? Remember, the Shulchan Aruch says, according to Bavli, right? And, that, and that's the klal, that's the, that's the, uh, the legal principle. Generally, if there's a machlek, is Bavli Yishalmi. We follow Bavli for practical purposes, for halachic purposes, right? Um, so, Bavli says there were two different dates. In the first base of Mikdash, the wall was split on the 9th. The second base of Mikdash, the wall was split on the 17th. Yishalmi says, no, it was, the wall was split on the 17th both times. And as far as halacha, we follow the Bavli, and uh, we say that really there were two different dates. However, for practical purposes, we only follow the second date. According to the Yerushalmi, we're not choosing between two dates because there is only one date. Is everyone following all this, all this math? A little bit confusing, right? Okay, fine. Should I sell you an insurance policy now? Just sign it. It's okay. It's fine. I worked out the math. Okay. Okay. So, again, we're, we're not afraid of a machleik isbav Yerushalmi. We're used to that. Problem is a different problem. We know that there can be divergent opinions, meaning different perspectives, different ways of looking at things. Two people standing in two spots looking at the same thing, they can have two totally different views because of where they're standing. And that's, that's to be understood. However, we have, a, we have a principle which guides us that there can be no... I'll use the technical term, machleikis bimitsius. Machleikis bimitsius means a disagreement about reality. In other words, when it comes to an opinion where we want to place emphasis on one thing or another, okay, we understand there are different approaches. So one approach would emphasize one thing, another approach would em- emphasize another thing. But when you say that there's an, there's an historical event. Either it took place on that date or it didn't. It's not a matter of perspective. It's not a matter of emphasis. Either it happened on that date or it didn't. And that we can't really handle. A machleikis there's no such thing as arguing about the reality. There's arguing where to place emphasis, what to, what to uh, underscore, there, there, there can be two different opinions about when it comes to actual practical application, which one we should express as far as our, as our ritual observance. 
Um, you know, like Beishamai would say you light one less uh, candle lemonade every night, and Beishela would say you light one more every night. That's fine. That's a matter of perspective and opinion. But an, an historical fact, either it happened on that date or it didn't. So we're left with what we call a machlekes b'metzias, which cannot be. So how are we supposed to deal with that? That's my technical question. That's more of my learning question. Now I'm going to ask you more of a, I don't know, call it practical question, which is, we all know that Mashiach is coming sooner than later. And we're all hoping that it's much sooner than later. So why are we even talking about Shavas Batamos? We have no faith over here? <laughs> Shavas Batamos didn't come. It's not... And, and until the last second, why are we even planning for it? You know, one of my boys went off to uh, Yeshiva's Kayetz today. He went on the bus, and he's going up to the mountains, he's going to Yeshiva's Kayetz, summer yeshiva. And he had the Svarim list. And one of this, the, 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 the books that he's supposed to bring was a kinnis. I said, why are they telling you to bring a kinnis? That's terrible. He said, well, they wrote on the thing, if Chas V'Shal Mashiach is not here, well, well. I said, no, if they, don't, don't write it on the paper. Don't bring the kinnis. And if at the last minute you're scrambling around trying to find the kinnis, then fine. But well, what are you preparing for, for Tisha B'Av for? By the way, the coolest thing I ever saw, and I don't even know who the guy was, but um, I was in the mountains. This was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I was at... Uh, there's a, there's a forum shop. What's the name of that town, that little town in the Catskills where there's like... Woodburn. Woodburn. Is it called Woodburn? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there's a, there's a Judaica store. There's a forum shop. It was like the day after Tisha B'Av and some camp director came in and I guess they were short. They didn't have enough kinnis the, the previous day. So he asked the guy there, he says, I need to buy 200 of these. And he's like, no. He's like, well, you don't have them? He says, I refuse. I will not sell it to you. I'm not going to sell you kinnis. You tell me, you believe a whole year from now we're still going to be in Gullis? I will not sell it to you. I thought that was pretty great. Anyways, why are we talking about Shavuot Vesuvah Tammuz? We're all expecting, not just hoping, we're expecting, there's not going to be a Shavuot Vesuvah Tammuz. What are we even learning about it for? All right, so I got a couple questions on the table. One is, how do we understand this apparent machlekes b'metzias between the Bavu Yudashalmi, which cannot be? The other is a more personal question, which is, why are we preparing for something that we all hope and expect we're not going to have to deal with. Okay. So, you ever heard of the butterfly effect? There's a couple different explanations of what that means. One of them has to do with chaos theory and entropy and that that's one version of it, that a butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the world could affect, uh, could cause a hurricane on the other side of the world. Then there's, there's a different butterfly effect. It's actually based on a Ray Bradbury short story. I mentioned Ray, Bradbury, Ray Bradbury because I'm from Chicago, so he's from Waukegan, so it's always, always like to man, mention a landsman. Yeah, of course. Ray Bradbury's from Waukegan, of course. I grew up in Canada. So you know Ray Bradbury's from Waukegan. You didn't know that? Now you know. So Ray Bradbury wrote a short story <coughs> where... The, uh, there was a uh, time travel tourism industry in the future. I think it's 2055 or something that takes place. And uh, so, and in fact, 
in the story, the company that does the time travel tourism is in Chicago. Yes, it is. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, they take you back in time, and you can hunt. Like rich people can go and hunt dinosaurs. So yeah, so they they're going T-Rex hunting. They're hunting Tyrannosaurus Rex, and they and this is a whole thing. They warn them, you're going to be standing on this elevated like levitation thing, so you don't touch, you don't step on anything, you don't change anything. Um, we've singled out one Tyrannosaurus Rex who's going to die within a few minutes, so killing him will not change the timeline in any way because that's the whole thing. Like you cannot change anything back in the past because it'll have a ripple effect and it'll change everything, right? So anyways, um, I'm not going to tell you the whole short story. And <laughs> the point is, at one point, one of the guys steps off the path and uh, he gets back to the future or back to the present where he started from and everything looks different. And this was written in the 50s. It was like written during the specter of the Holocaust. And uh, basically some fascist candidate named Deutscher Go figure. Because he, he lost the election before they left on the trip. When they came back, he had won the election. And they saw the, the, the present was different than how they left it. And he looks at the bottom of his boot, and he's horrified to see a crushed butterfly. He realized he stepped on the butterfly in the past, and it caused a ripple effect, which caused that this fascist candidate came uh, to power and... Whatever. Anyways, the point is butterfly effect. It, it, obviously, it's sci-fi. <laughs> it's it's a it's a sci-fi story. But like most sci-fi, it's making a a deeper point, and that is the idea of the ripple effect of our actions. That if you play something out, if you project it out, you'll see that something even small could have a a massive impact. And um, so here's the question. Now that I told you about Ray Bradbury, <laughs> sci-fi, a butterfly effect. Okay, is there something in Torah that is similar to this idea of an, let's call it alternate timeline, where a small action is different and then everything else going forward becomes increasingly different. You know, one time there was a guy, he used to always bother his Rav because he wanted to bench Goimel. So he, one time he called up the Rav, he says, this time for sure you're going to let me bench Goimel. He says, well, you know the Thanksgiving blessing, when you survive a calamity, you survive a life-threatening situation. He says, this time for sure you're going to let me. He says, well, what happened? He says, I almost got hit by a bus. He says, well, that, that would warrant benching Goimel. Tell me what happened. He says, well, uh, the nine bus went up on the curb on the corner of Delancey Street. And that's the spot where I used to stand to wait for the bus, except I changed jobs a year ago. But if I hadn't changed jobs a year ago, I would still be standing on that spot and the nine bus would have hit me. So the Rav says, you know something, I had a similar situation myself. Um, the other day, my wife did the laundry. And then she put the laundry out on the line, you know, in the city, you know, the, in the olden days, in the, in the apartments, they have the clothes line in, on, over the alley, right, between the windows. So she took my pants and she put them out on the clothes line to dry. And a big wind came and blew the pants and they flipped off of the clothes line and they went tumbling down five stories and fell into the alley. And I want to tell you something. Three days prior, I had been wearing those pants. Imagine if I were still in them, that would have been me. So, 
Okay, so the question is, is there such a concept of an alternate timeline where if something would have been different, even a small thing, then the whole history of the whole world, if you project things out far enough, would have been completely different? Sure. I'll give you the first example where it's explicit. I mean, we can theorize what if all the Mechava never ate uh, from the Eitz Adas, right? Okay, but here's something where it actually says it clearly in Torah. It's not as far back as Parshas Bereshis, Parshas Noyach. Okay, what does it say? Parshas Noyach. Vayihi hageshem al ha'oretz. Arboim yeim arboim Laila. The rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, in English, it doesn't bother us. Geshem, rain, okay, whatever. But in Lushen Kodesh, Geshem is a very specific term. Geshem means normal rain, not torrential rain. The word for torrential rain, like occurred in the time of Noyach, is Mabel. Mabel isn't just the flood, it means the torrents coming down, precipitating down in such a voluminous way. That's called Mabel. It's not called Geshem. They're two different terms. So Rashi has to deal with this. So on this verse, on the words, and the water was upon the land. What does Rashi say? Rashi says, But hold on a second. Later on, it says it was a Mabel. It was torrential, a torrential downpour. And over here it's saying, it's Geshem, it's normal rain. So which one is it? Allah, but rather, he answers, Kishahiridon, when it first came down, when Hashem first brought down the precipitation, Hiridon Berachamim, he brought it down mercifully. Why? Shi'im Yachzru, if they would return in Teshuvah, if they'd get the hint, in other words, Yu Gishme Bracha, the rain would have been, not only would it not have been destructive, it would have been a blessing. Gishme Bracha. We pray for rain, right? This whole philo we pray for. Rain is, rain is a source of blessing. I mean, to a degree, I mean, in, in the right amount. So it would have not only been not destructive precipitation, it would have been helpful. It would have been a blessing. Kishalai Chazru, however, when they did not repent, when they saw the rain coming down and they didn't repent, then these same waters became torrential and wrought all of that destruction. So in other words, we have such a concept that there's something happened in the world. At the moment it happened, it was a fork in the road. The human reaction could have determined vastly different timelines in history. Meaning, there would have been no mabel. Now, let's talk about our situation here. The seeming machlekes b'metzias between Bavli and Yerushalmi. They cannot really be debating about history. They can debate about perspective, about where to place emphasis, but they cannot be debating about history. And the answer is they're not. They're not. <sighs> Splitting a wall isn't something that happens like that. What do you think? They had dynamite? 
the splitting of a wall is a process. It's a process. What happened? At first, a little bit of it broke. You ever see a chicken coming out of an egg? A chicken pokes out and makes a little flap, a little window, and they pokes more and pokes more until finally he can get his body through and leave the egg. What happened? On the ninth day of Tammuz, the wall broke a little bit. The wall broke a little bit. And Yerushalmi will agree to this. Yerushalmi will agree. It's not a machlekes. Just like the Bavli says that the wall in the first destruction, the one with the Babylonians, the wall broke on the ninth. But what does it mean that broke on the ninth? It started breaking. Just a little bit. It didn't completely break until the 17th. Now, how is that a positive thing? How is that actually something that if the Jews would have responded differently to it, not only would it not have become a calamity, but it could have become positive? Yermio had been warning them all this time. He kept telling them to do tshuva, they weren't listening. Okay. So finally, Hashem said, I'll set Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you'll get the hint. So he sent the Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar. And at this point, they're besieged. That's a reality. Now, what would be a zero-sum game? The Babylonians would leave. But what would be coming out ahead? To defeat the Babylonians. Okay, how are you going to defeat them? You know, last week's Pasha, it talks about when, in the end of Chukas, it talks about they were fighting uh, Sichain, who was the king of Cheshbon. Cheshbon was a fortified city. It was a walled city. And they, they couldn't get in there. The Yidin, the Bnei Yisrael, the Jews, couldn't get in there to fight with, uh, with the, the city of Hejman. So Hashem made them, made these Emoirim uh, do something stupid. He made them get the stupid idea to leave their fortified city and go run out into the fields around the city and then the Jews were able to defeat them. Okay. So too, similarly, what could have happened? Instead of waiting to break open the walls so the whole Babylonian army could just march in, which is what they did, you know what they could have done? They started splitting the, the, the city wall on the 9th, make a little, you know, opening, and then maybe they would have gotten the stupid idea, you know what, the, the city's open up enough, well, you know, we can walk in single file. And as they're walking in single file, the Jews would easily pick them off. And not only would they, 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 they not be defeated by the Babylonians, they would defeat, the Jews would defeat the Babylonians. So it could have, the whole thing could have become positive. In other words, if they would have taken the hint... Not only would it stop, would it arrest the negativity, but the whole development would have been transformed and turned into something positive. Similar to the story of the Mabel, that not only would it not have become a destructive flood, but the, the, the waters themselves, which in the timeline which actually transpired, the waters which became a Mabel, would not have become a Mabel. They would have been Yishmei Brocha, waters of blessing, reign of blessing. So to here if the reaction would have been different, so that entire event of the splitting of the city walls could have been a positive thing. Okay, fine. So what do you do with the fact, though, that the Yerushalmi clearly says, Kilkul cheshbeines yeshkan? 
that this is an erroneous calculation. We're trying to say that there's not a machlekes b'metzias between Yerushalmi and the Bavli. We're trying to say that the, 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 the Yerushalmi is also going to agree that on the 9th of Tammuz something happened. So, but it said, there's an error in calculation. So we can explain that a little bit differently too. An error in calculation happened. What's the error in calculation? That during the first destruction, on the 9th of Tammuz, when the Babylonians first put that little hole in the wall, and the Jews saw it, they said, ah, forget it. Now, it's too late. We're goners. They threw in the towel. They should have realized, no, this can not only no this can not only be arrested so it does not become a negative development, but if we do tshuva now, we can start an alternate timeline where this development, where the first splitting of the wall on the 9th of Thomas becomes a wonderful thing, becomes a good thing. And they would have preserved the Beis Amikdosh and they would have defeated the Babylonians. But they made an error in calculation. They thought that the decree was irrevocable, that it's over, it's all done. No, you could still do tshuva. The Abishta was only sending you a wake-up call. The Abishta was only trying to get you to, to do tshuva, mm-hmm. not, to, not to surrender, not to give up, not to think it's a foregone conclusion. But they reacted the wrong way. And therefore, what happened is the 9th of Tammuz led to the 17th of Tammuz where the city walls were completely broken open. So Yashami is going to agree with the Bavli. Something happened on the 9th of Tammuz. But there was an erroneous evaluation made at the time of what that meant and what would have to transpire or what alternate timeline could have transpired. What's the point for us? I was asking us before, why are we even talking about Shiva Asabatamas? We don't want there to be a Shiva Asabatamas. Well, the truth is, yes, we do want there to be a Shiva Asabatamas, and I'll tell you why. Because the Rambam says in the end of Hilchas Tainus, the end of the laws of fasts, that not only when Mashiach comes will the fast days become nullified, but they will become Yemei Sosin Vesimcha. They'll become Yomim Tevim, they'll be days of celebration. It won't just be that the negativity has been, has been arrested, has, has ceased, has stopped. Then what did you gain? Again, it's a zero-sum game. What will happen is we will have transformed all the negativity. All the descent will be like a person who crouches down low in order to leap up higher. So the lower things go, actually the more it propels it to a higher level. We will see that when Mashiach comes. And so the lowest days on our calendar will actually no longer be sad days, but they will be the inverse. They will be transformed to their very opposite. Those will be happy days because they are moments in the timeline of history where things were developing toward toward Mashiach. Now, it could have happened in a way that at the time it was a very quick development like we described. Or it could take longer. But at the end, the end of the whole story, 
Those negative moments do not remain negative, and they're not merely canceled and wiped away. They become revealed as positive. I'll tell you a quick story. There was once a, a Yid who was thrown in prison in Russia, communist Russia, and his wife wrote him a letter. She says, look, our only way of eating is we have a little potato farm in the yard next to the house. And I, I'm a woman, I'm by myself, I can't plant the potatoes because the ground is too hard. The ground's frozen, it's hard. And normally, you know, her husband would do that. So she's writing to her husband, telling him her plight. So uh, he writes back to her, he's in prison, he knows everything's being read. So he writes back to her and he says, don't touch the potato garden because that's where I buried all of the guns. The next day, <laughs> a truck full of soldiers pulls up and starts tearing apart the yard. And they're digging around, and uh, after hours, they find nothing, and they drive off disgusted. So the woman writes her husband. She says, there were a bunch of soldiers here. They tore apart the whole yard looking for something. I don't know what they're... <laughs> Here's how you know the punchline. So he writes her back, says, now plant the potatoes. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at a snapshot, if you look at the moment in time where the yard is being torn apart, so it looks like destruction, but if you look at the end of the story, you realize it's actually productive, not destructive. It's plowing. It's part of growth. Part of growth is, is plowing. It's also why the prophecy says, Tzien kesod techoresh, that Tzien, the Besamigdash, will be plowed under like a field. Not just stam destroyed. No, plowed. Plowed means for the purposes of growth. So the point is, then when, when, when we speak in anticipation of, oh, Shivas Batamus is coming, it's not that chas v'shalom, we're, we're masochists and we're, we're wallowing in the anticipation of a sad day and we're looking forward to, you know, uh, being uh, mournful and that's not at all not at all we acknowledge in the past it's been that way but when we say Shiva Asabatamas is coming what we mean is we're anticipating something truly great and glorious and, 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 and worth celebrating because all of the pain in the past all the apparent destruction is going to be revealed in its transformed state of the ultimate the ultimate building just like the rain of the flood could have become Gishme Bracha, rain of blessing, but it didn't. Except here, the story is not finished being written. The Mabel story is over. But here, the story, the story of the Jewish people is not finished. And what we're going to find in the end, when it all plays out, is that every calamity, every pain, both to the individual and to the collective, to the community, every loss, every setback, it was all in order to eventually be revealed as a, a descent for the sake of the greatest ascent. What we have to do is seize those opportunities. Just like in the times of the first <laughs> destruction, they could have identified the splitting of the wall as a positive development. And it would have been if they would have reacted to it that way. If they, they made an erroneous evaluation. Had they not, though, the whole thing could have transpired differently. We have to learn from that. When we look around and we say, oh, the world's getting worse. 
It's not getting worse. It's impossible the world's getting worse. The world, every minute the world's getting closer to Mashiach. You know the famous story about the clock, famous story of the clock of, uh, of the Chazer. Yeah, there, there was a, I, we're running out of time, so I'll tell you the, quickly the story. But at any rate, there was a, there was a, there was a clock that, um, I forget which Guta Yid it was, who came to a hotel, and he, in the morning he said, where do you get this clock from? And the, the Balkrechma, the, the innkeeper, had to admit the whole story, how he got it, it was the Chazer's clock. He says, how did you know it was a special clock? He says, you know why? Every other clock, you hear it tick-tock, tick-tock, one second closer to your death. This clock, I heard it tick-tock, tick-tock, every tick-tock, one second closer to Mashiach. I knew it was a special clock. Okay, so there's, there's two different ways of looking at everything. You can react to it as a snapshot. Oh, you know, the world is worse. Oh, this generation is worse. Oh, kids these days. Oh, the world these days. Or you could say, no, that's impossible. Everything that transpires in the world is a potentially positive development, and it will actually be a positive development. When the whole story is over, I don't want to ruin the, the novel for you, but the, the punchline, the end of the story is Mashiach comes, and we win the game, and everything is, is beautiful. But even until that point, what do you say? It's a long book, yeah, 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 like War and Peace. It's like, yeah, yeah. But the point is, for us practically, when there's an incident that transpires and we jump to identify it as a negative occurrence, a negative development, we have to stop and say, hold on a second. It's impossible that something's going to happen that's only negative. That's not, that's not the way the Abishta runs the world. If something happens that appears negative, it's to wake us up, but not to wake us up so we start uh, self-flagellating. It's yeah, tshuva. But you know what tshuva means? Tshuva means take action. doesn't mean go sit in the corner and cry. It means take action, positive action. It means simcha. It means positivity. And then we'll see that all the negativity gets transformed. Everything Hashem does is kulei then it just seems bad for what our small eyes see. Correct. We don't see the overall picture. We don't see the overall picture. It's really good just to us it seems bad. Right. And, and if it wasn't good, then Hashem wouldn't be good. Right. And Mashiach means, and Mashiach means not only is it good from Hashem's perspective, from His infinite perspective, even from our small perspective, we'll be able to see how it's good. Okay, all right.